The following audio content is a talk from Convergence, a service for young adults at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at upc.org forward slash young adults. Well, as many of you know, we're in this series um, called Consumed. Uh, it's dealing with the Sermon on the Mount, and the reason we call it Consumed is that it pushes us to think, to look a little bit closer, to move beyond looking good, looking Christian, um, looking religious. It, it pushes us to say, what's really going on inside? That so often, uh, what we maybe perhaps experience, what I know that I've experienced in the past, maybe what you even see and troubles you, is uh, people that look good on the outside, but you know you're consumed on the inside. There's, some, there's a ways in which, you know, you're not murdering anybody, and yet you're longing for more because you're getting eaten from the inside out. So what we've been doing is Jesus' sermon addresses that very thing. And so as we go through this, we're looking at Jesus is inviting us into something, a righteousness that goes far beyond simply just being legalistic, checking the boxes off. That what Jesus is calling us to is a maturity, a character that looks like our Heavenly Father. What Jesus is calling us to is a decision. Say, I want you to be people who build on a solid foundation. That you build on the rock. I don't want you to build on the sand and so that it, it, you, know, you throw something up. You invest your life on something. And what happens is the first storm that comes along wipes it all away. I want you to last. And so that's the invitation on the sermon. Well, one of the things as we went through, you have to break these talks up. Uh, and, uh, but... What I realized as I talked with Dave is that uh, we were just going to skip over something that I, we just cannot. We actually have to take time. And so I've rearranged the schedule. We're actually kind of out of sync a little bit. But we're, we're doing that because it's just way too important. This whole section that we're going to look in uh, tonight has to do with probably maybe the most famous section of the Sermon on the Mount that people who've never even read the Bible probably have heard Jesus uh, having said something like turning the other cheek. You know, everybody thinks it's a noble idea. Nobody wants to follow it. It's probably one of the most um, ignored passages in all of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, It's probably a passage that's most misunderstood. Perhaps for you, you've experienced abuse. And for you, it feels like a weight. It doesn't feel like good news. What I wanted to do is I wanted to take extra time tonight. I wanted to have Dave here so that we can have some time to actually maybe, maybe talk about this a little bit. Time to not rush past it because I think that this is probably one of the most important passages for us to live into, to see the good news in, both because it draws us into a place of real strength and maturity that we all long for. It draws us in a place where we are not victims, but where we start to become change agents in the world in which we live the circles in which we operate. Not only that, I think what it does is it's probably the most tangible way in which the world around us, people who would never come to church, can begin to see something that is actually good news. They can begin to see a power, a force at work that goes beyond what they understand. It's what makes the gospel perhaps the most compelling. And I think so often what we do is we miss it. So that's why I want us to to look into... um, uh, this section um, tonight. Um, here's what I want to do. I want to um, give you a little roadmap, roadmap of where we're going. Um, why it's important. I just told you that. Check. 
It's good. Here's what I want to do, though, as we go through. It's a little different than what we normally do. I want to take a look at what the text says, because I think uh, hopefully that's going to help uh, maybe get over some of the, the ways in which you you resist it, the way maybe the misconceptions that you have. Uh, Dave and I are going to give some initial thoughts out of that. Then I want your thoughts. And this is what we want to do. I don't want Dave and I giving in a bus, bunch of illustrations. I want the illustrations to come from where you guys are living at. So here's what I want you to think as we, get, as we sit in this. Where are you going? Yeah, sure. I'm not going to do that. Where is this hardest? Where do you hear this and go, there's just no way that in this place, uh, my place of work, uh, the friends I operate in, um, in my family, that I could never do this? If you'd be willing to show that. Maybe maybe you even would have a hypothetical. We're going to give some boundaries around that. A hypothetical go, all right, it's great for you guys to talk about it. You're in church. We're reading the Bible. Awesome. What about this? How would we actually do this? Okay. So I want to hear back from you questions that you have, but we want to kind of, what we want to do, what I want to do is put, have you guys put meat on this? Have you guys make this tangible and real? Because only, the only way we're going to do this is as we sit together and explore this, we'll begin to, to move past simply checking out or having this be some, something that feels like um, a burden. And then we'll, we'll finish up with some practical steps on how to, uh, how to begin to move forward uh, with this. Uh, so before we start reading, let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for this sermon. Thank you for um, your invitation. Lord, it is hard. It is upside down. It is countercultural. It is counterintuitive to everything that we feel. Lord, you start your beatitudes on what, what is blessing, and we just cringe. And that's what's true. But Lord, we also believe that there's something in there. So I, Lord, I pray right now by your Holy Spirit that you would help us to live in that place of tension where we hear something hard and perhaps you would even nudge us by your Spirit to begin to move forward in confidence. To begin to, to think about doing what we never have done before. Lord, I pray that you would take this sermon and that you, you would make this just as relevant and tangible as ever tonight. So, Lord, we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to begin by, by just reading through it. Um, Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse uh, 38. And I want to do this, and then we're going to come back and hit some of the parts of the text. And we just need to just sit and listen to this, because so often, you know, we hear, yeah, Jesus says, turn the other cheek. But we really don't know what Scripture says. So let's see what Scripture has to say. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? If you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. 
I talked about that word perfect. Just remind us that that is not a technical moral perfection. I never screw up. What that, that word perfect has to do with completion, maturity. I'm not a little kid. I'm an adult. That's, that's what it's saying. Be perfect. Be mature like your heavenly father is. So a couple of things to note. I mentioned before, and I want to uh, remind us that one of the things that I found most helpful in kind of getting my head around the sermon is to see uh, what a lot of scholars have pointed out is that there's a triad structure. There's, there's a clear structure, especially in chapter 5 that Jesus goes through. And it starts with this, the kind of the old news. You have heard. Okay, here's the old command, right? Everybody knows it. The old and the old law really is that it's that law of good enough. So he begins, and I'm going to use a translation that is different than what I just read, which was the NIV. This is a translation that comes out of Dale Bruner's commentary, which is brilliant uh, on this topic. And what I, I chose that because what he does is he, it's not, it doesn't flow as well, but it, it'll help us kind of get into what the words are actually saying. So, you've heard, you folks have heard, and, and you folks, the whole point is that, you know, again, we need to hear, the, we need to hear that so often we read scripture and it's only to me me, myself, and I personally. So much of scripture, when it says you, it's talking to, like I am right now, you guys, you folks. Not in isolation, together in this community. You folks have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Basic, basic law. Okay, everybody knew it. It's not even particularly, um, it's not even particularly uh, uh, only in Hebrew scripture. It, it is a law that was sort of throughout the ancient world, um, you can find examples of this, I think, 1800 B.C., I mean, thousands of years ago. And really, the whole point of it was to say, look, how do we restrain the normal natural instinct that if somebody does something that I feel like violates me, that I don't want to just do the same back, what I want to do. So if somebody, if, I, if my arm's broken, what am I going to do? I'm going to go, I'm actually going to kill you and your brother and your mother, right? It's sort of the mob mentality, right? You violate the Godfather at all, you're going to wake up with a horse head. Right? It's that sense. It's not, it's not like it's kind of tit for tat. It's like, you do anything for me, I'm going to just wipe you out so that you are so scared of even ever even thinking of doing anything for me. So often in ancient civilizations, what would happen is you have some poor person accidentally does something to somebody who has wealth. Well, the person who's wealthy just, just devastates the person who's poor. Okay, it was, it was designed to restrain. It's a law that helps us to, it moderates us, moderates this reaction of retaliation. It's really a law of good enough. Okay, it's good news in many ways, but it's not like it's great. It's not like it's leading us to significance. It's not like it's anything, but really just not horrible. Jesus will say this at the very end of this passage we talked about. He goes, you know, some of you think that... Um, what matters is that, hey, you know, you, 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 love your, you love the people who love you. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's good. Good for you. you know? But don't think that when I come down, that when I start talking about my heavenly father, don't think that God is interested in you just loving people who love you. The worst person that you can think of does that. Tax collectors, sinners, the worst people you can think of, they at least love people who love them. Part of the good news is this, is Jesus is saying, look, I want to get beyond you just going, hey, look, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not horrible. He wants more for us. Don't just be good enough. Don't just be just sort of average, just, just not a bad person. I want more for you. Moves us to the next thing. And we see the next piece of scripture falls in this pattern. I'm going to now call you to something new or something that goes um, 
It's going to push the boundaries a little bit. But it's because I want to call you beyond just sort of ordinary good enough to extraordinary. So Jesus says, I'm going to, but I say to you folks, don't even ever try to get even with the evil one. First thing I want to, I want to highlight, who are your enemies? I think it's a weird question for us. Especially in Seattle, man, we're all tolerant and good with everybody. We don't have enemies, right? We don't have people that slap us in the, in the face. Who's your enemy, though? Because your life is full of enemies. Some of you know it. I've talked to you, some of you. I've heard about some of the, the environments in which you have to work. You clearly know that you're under the gun. Here's a definition of an enemy to help us think about this. An enemy is anyone whose success in some way diminish, diminishes yours. So think about that for just a moment. Who's the person who I feel like their success in some way is diminishing mine? Maybe it's a competitor. Maybe it's a manager standing in the way. Someone who gets under your skin. Someone who unintentionally does something that slights you. Who's the person in your life whose actions push you into a place where you feel insecure and where you feel fearful? That's your enemy. Second thing to note about this is that uh, in a lot of versions it says don't resist. Don't even resist your enemy or the evil one. And when we can hear that, this is where things start to, I think we start to, it starts to kind of go sideways. Is that we go, don't resist. So I'm never, I'm supposed to just let somebody who comes up and wants to, to take from me more than they should or wants to slap me on the face that I don't resist, that I can't stand up to it. I just cower. That's all I do. It's not really, it's not really, it's unfortunate, it's an unfortunate um, translation. And the thing is that if we begin to, to hold this and say, what is God really saying in this, instead of just kind of legalistically clamping down on it, we kind of go, ah, that, that kind of breaks down when you start looking about, we start looking at Jesus and Paul throughout the Gospels. Scripture always has to be held uh, in combination with Scripture. That's how we get out of these weird translations that sometimes people come up with that are just bizarre, Okay. And lead us into a place, ultimately, um, that is um, discouraging or even damaging. So it's not a command to be passive, but one to move beyond getting even, repay wrong for wrong, or pay back evil for evil. And you can find those, uh, kind of those terms or those phrases throughout um, the rest of Scripture. Don't pay back evil for evil. Don't, don't repay wrong for wrong. Don't try to get even. Don't let that be your first instinct. Okay? So the next thing is, so, you're like, holy smokes, Jesus. So you're asking me not even to, to, to retaliate or, or, or to somehow to push back um, or to get even with a person who's evil, who is trying to do me harm, who's trying to undermine me, who has somehow violated me. I don't even know how to do that. Well, this is where Jesus is incredibly brilliant and incredibly practical. This is what I love about this. So he gives you four steps on how to move forward in a new way, how to move from just not bad into extraordinary. So he talks about whoever's slapping you on the right cheek, offer that person the other cheek as well. You can see it goes through, we talk about humiliation, we talk about unfair treatment, and essentially this idea of who wants to sue you and take your shirt, the whole idea of, I mean, this is profoundly unfair. Many people who were incredibly poor in that day, all they had was the clothes on their back. They had an undershirt, and then they had an overcoat. Now, the law, the law said that... Um, if that person, like, if that person needed something, if they needed money, all they had as collateral was the clothes on their back. So they could say, I'll put as collateral my shirt. 
There was a law that tried to restrain kind of the abuse of that by saying you can't take both the shirt and the coat. Well, what could happen is that if somebody who had more money came to, to a person who had gotten a loan and said, look, I'm calling it in. Yeah, but I don't have it. I'm calling it in. Well, I can sue you and take your shirt. Profoundly unfair. It's like taking candy from a little kid. It's that sense of, uh, of, in, of injustice. Okay, exploitation. Whoever it is uh, who will be forcing you to go one mile, go with that person two miles. Okay, these are everyday indignities that the people would have run into. Not big enemies out there with a huge army. These are everyday indignities that they hit on a regular basis. Jesus is saying, here's how you take little steps to begin living into this new reality that I'm calling you to. So, many of you have heard this. Uh, Soldiers, Roman soldiers, could could go up to a Jew and say, Hey, look, I'm tired of carrying all my luggage. Dave, uh, I want you to carry all my stuff. Well, the Roman government said, we know that could be abused. You could have a Roman soldier who makes someone carry their stuff, you know, on and on and on and on. So only one mile. It's this whole thing of like, it's not just horrible. It's, you know, it's okay. It's just total exploitation. And it violates that very person's own agency, ability to make decisions for themselves. So Jesus says, you have someone do that? Why don't you go with them a second mile? Lastly, being taken advantage of. I'll say quickly, this is not about... um, uh, giving to the poor. This is about the context of this is all about somebody who's coming and trying to take something from you. There, there's a sense of violation from it. So it's somebody who's coming up and making demands on you. There's a sense of like, wait, you know, we want to we want to retract. So it's it's this idea. Of what happens when someone wants to come up and demand something from you? Maybe even uh, take a loan from you that you don't even know you're going to get back. Well, basic law says you should do that for your your um, family. But now Jesus is saying, I want you to go even wider on this. So here's kind of the the main thought. What Jesus, I believe, is calling us to to do as we begin to move from just ordinary to extraordinary is to give better than you got. What I want to caution you against is this idea of getting locked into saying, how do I exactly do this every single time? You do that and you'll end up violating the spirit of what Jesus is saying. That we get into this place where we feel like I, I get handcuffed and I, every time somebody slaps me, if they slap me again and again and again, that I have to just keep turning, turning my cheek. That's not what he's saying. The earth, most of the church, I talked about this when we began, most of the church for 2,000 years has spent their time avoiding the Sermon on the Mount, rationalizing it away. The early church took it very seriously, but they took it very seriously and were smart about it. They used their heads about it. There are times when this doesn't make sense. This doesn't say, for instance, um, what Jesus is not saying is that the state can't uh, impose something. Like a judge can't stand and go, you have to pay a penalty. They're not saying that. That's not what this is going on. This is about primarily interpersonal, but it goes bigger than that. So don't get legalistic about it. The whole point is how do we begin to to move into this new place? Let's use the example of uh, someone being slapped. Okay. Someone comes up, what you could do is you could, um, you could slap slaves. It was uh, total humiliation. You slap a slave, a slave cannot hit back somebody who is in a class above them. So you have two options as a slave. Come up, go with Dave. I only use my, only use my right hand, hit Dave on the, on the cheek. Two options as a slave. You either go into a corner and cower humiliated, or you hit back and you'll probably be killed. 
because you cannot hit your master. So you're stuck. Two options. Do I hit back or do I cower? What Jesus is saying here, what's brilliant about it is he goes, look, on one hand, what I want you to do is take a position that is creative, that, that in which you give better than you got, in which you're not cowering. You're not going to validate a small view of yourself that is easily broken. That somehow, if you slap me, I'm going to shrink into the corner. No, there's more to me. It's going to take a lot more than that to humiliate me. It's going to take a lot more than that to, to diminish me. On the other hand, don't validate the tools of control and manipulation that you run into again and again and again that are ultimately dehumanizing. I want to call you to something better. My first challenge on this is simply to say, is think about how do we, I think each of these things, Jesus is saying, how do you move to say, give back better than what you received? And as you do so, you move actually into a place of strength and not weakness. Dave. Good. Thoughts. <clears throat> okay. It's the worst? Yeah, good. I actually really am glad we're talking about this. This is where I, my own, I'll just editorialize, to say my own opinion. I'm looking forward to hearing everybody else's. This is one of those ones you guys were from me. I, I think this passage right here is at the crux of why the world doesn't believe the church. We goof this up. We get bitter, and when it's, we're all good as long as it's not affecting us. And watch when a church gets threatened. And the behavior that comes out is spiteful and mean, just like the rest of the world. And the world looks at it and goes, show me the proof. There's no, your behavior is telling me that your God isn't real. And so there's an element of here where, I, where for me personally, and this is hard for me, uh, this, this whole concept here is a tough one. But I think somewhere in the midst of this is Jesus, is Jesus saying, listen, if you are going to be the light of the world, and this is where we break the world is going to believe this over this. You can be, we can be as talented. We can be as flashy. We can have big buildings. We can have parking attendants. We can do all this stuff that the world goes, wow, something must be happening there. And then they hear about this. And they go, well, it's just one more machine. It's just one more organization. So for me personally, this is where dialogue with Jesus really comes into play. Like, Lord Jesus, help me do this well. Help me know the right path. And, and it's, it's not easy. And, and at the heart of it, I really do believe that w- the way we're doing this right now is really how you take on this kind of an issue. It really is an issue for community. It's an issue for getting together with a few select people and saying, how do I do this well? Right? Just don't take the path of the world on this one. Um, and that is, it's not an easy, it's not easy situation. The situation, it's tough to know how do I turn the cheek well in this. Um, is, a, is an issue of discipleship. So that's, that's, that's one thought I would say. Um, does that make sense, what I'm saying? Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so a couple thoughts. One is that at the, at the heart of this, I think this is, uh, there's a couple of issues in this, and one of them is, is about where we've been hurt, like John's talking about. All of us have been hurt at some point in time. It just is what it, it's just, it's just true. In this world, he's saying, it's like the rain's gonna come down on the righteous and the unrighteous. And for, th- for some of us, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a Christian community where I sort of felt like the overarching message was if I did it exactly right, that I would sort of be exempted from the way the world can hurt people. I just sort of had that feeling. And no one ever said that, but that was sort of the vibe that I picked up. And so when you, when you find that, that bad things really 
still can happen to you. It can be a real, just a jarring for some people in their faith. It can feel like, God, where were you? And, 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 and why didn't you protect me from that? You could have done something to stop that. And Jesus is saying, look, that's not the deal I'm making with you. You're going to walk this life and walk in this world just like everybody else. And some people are going to make decisions that are going to directly impact you in a negative way. And this is where your discipleship is going to be really put into a new kind of a testing time. It's tough. Um, so what I would challenge you with, and we've got, I've got more thoughts. I'll just give you one. What I would challenge you with is um, that there is a bid from people who've been hurt that are hurting you. And it's a trite phrase, but it's one that I hold on to, that hurt people hurt people. If you've been hurt by somebody, I guarantee you, it's what I, what I always say is you rarely ever catch someone smoking their only cigarette. If they hurt you, they've hurt somebody else, and I promise you don't, someone has hurt them. It's just you are one person in a long chain. So one thing we can all do is not feel quite so special, like they're doing it just to us. Know that this is something that they're probably doing over and over and over again, and it's probably that coming out of the best tools that they've got to try and defend themselves. They're trying to take care of themselves and they're doing it in a way that's causing more pain. If I can have that kind of back up and take a bigger perspective, there's a guy that does systems theory in, in, in the work that I do as a counselor, a guy named Murray Bowen talks about taking the stance of the observer, stepping back and seeing if you can sort of get out from in the midst of the forest or the trees and start to see the forest and start to see what's the wider context. Why would somebody come at me in the way they did? Something, I guarantee you, is going on in their life where they would have come to you in a different way. Something, some, Somewhere they were raised with something and they are taken. Uh, my mom used to talk about how there were ghosts in the room. She would say, I promise you, you aren't the only person they're talking to. They're talking to you plus somebody else. They're, they're angry at you, they're angry at somebody else, and they're taking, that, taking that, that problem and bringing it forward. You've experienced that. It doesn't make sense how angry you are with me. It doesn't make sense why you would come at me and not just tell me that you're hurt, that you're angry, that you're frustrated. That's all right. But why are you being mean? Guarantee you, it's, it's you plus. There's a bid in the midst of that. Gottman, John Gottman down at the UW talks about bids. And there's some that you'll feel it if you listen, if you feel, if you kind of step back, take the observer's stance and kind of feel, you'll feel a bid to join them in a certain way of being. I'm going to be mean to you and you can almost feel it's like a knock-knock joke. Knock-knock. You know the pressures, right? You know you can feel it. There's just that, I'm not going to say it because I know he wants me to say it. I'm not going to say that, but I want to. That's, the, that's what I would challenge you with. When you get somebody coming at you and you get in this kind of a situation where somebody has been mean to you, you can, if you listen carefully, if you feel carefully, you can feel the bid to join them in that level of warfare. And recognizing that bid for me, stepping back and understanding this person, is, this person does not come isolated. This, this person is doing this now. They have done it before. They've done it again. And if they keep doing it, their life is going to be really, really miserable. That's just true. Nobody is happy who's doing what they just did to me. They're not a happy person. They're just taking it out. And the second one is I can feel their bid to join them. It's almost like they're coming up to me. What's your name? Tabitha. It's almost like they're coming up to Tabitha and saying, here's a script. You're going to play my enemy. 
you just read the next line and you're going to say something back to me and now we got a war. And what I would challenge you with is some of you grew up in situations where you had scripts handed to you all the time. Come join me in my battle. You'll play the part of my enemy. I'll be your enemy. You'll be my enemy. And I think one of the really powerful things that Jesus is doing here is saying, don't take the script. You follow me. You be my disciple. You take my script. And my script is we got a world to go save. My script is we got people that are in desperate need of help. You take my script. You take my discipleship role that I'm giving to you. Don't worry about the scripts that are being handed to you every day to come join people in their battles. You just say, no, thank you. That's all right. And, and, and there's some specifics on how we'll do that. But the, to me, it's an incredibly empowered position to take to ultimately release yourself from the feeling that you have to accept the scripts that are given to you every single day, those bids. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Okay. Um, let, me say, let me say this right now, that I, this is a place that um, is, I'm excited not because um, of studying and I think it's cool. I'm excited about this because this is a place that has been um, built really hard for me. And it's also a place in which I found um, um, real transformation personally. And um, it's a place in which I feel like I've grown in a sense of real strength. It's a place in which I have um, um, seen um, positive movement in some, in some key areas. It's a place in which I have begun to move away from getting involved in a script that makes me, at the end of the day, um, pretty disappointed with myself and my wife disappointed with me and not wanting me to talk to her anymore because I'm so angry into a place um, where uh, the psalmist would say a broad place, not a tight place, not a fearful place, not a dark place, but a broad place, a place um, of life. And so I'm passionate about it because it's what I want you guys to do. And I'm passionate about it because of the influence that it could have in your places where you um, work and operate and the people you interact with. Uh, One last thing I would challenge you guys on is that I would challenge you to have your dump. Hmm. Is that the, your place? Where's your, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Does that sound wrong? Yes. Radically? Yeah, did it, it sound radically wrong as much step, as I'm afraid it might have yeah. sounded? Yeah. I'm going to remember that for the rest of my life. One of my points was... Yeah. So let me challenge you with this. And I'm watching a little bit of this go on right now and even in this church a little bit. I mean, it makes me sad. What I would challenge us all, me too, is that John and I, we know that we can come to each other and we can rough draft it. Those mother... You know, we can do that. Did you turn it on already again? Shoot. (laughs) Any chance we can... Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like, there's a place where just anger builds up and you got to vent. Venting is okay. What I would challenge us with is, I think in the same passage Jesus talks about, don't go in front of everybody and pray and, and do that, because then you've already got your reward. It's not, to me, I think there's an element of what Jesus is saying is also is that if we go to the person and we're turning the cheek, but we've ripped them apart in 16 different places that are uncontained. I, my gut, my gut is that Jesus would be going, come on, 
You did the same thing. You just did it guerrilla warfare style. You either came out on the field and had that battle or you went back into the bushes and had it. I'm challenging you with that. Who's your one or two people where you make a deal that what's said here stays here? My rough draft with you stays here. You're not going to take my rough draft and spread it or you're gossiping. I would challenge us with that. I would challenge us. Who's your person? Who's your people? That when you come, you can rough draft it, but you know that it's fenced in, that it can stay contained. So you don't have to pretend like you're always never thoroughly, thoroughly angry. You can come rough draft it out, and then you can go to the person and take the road that you want, which is, I'm going to turn the other cheek with you because I'm not carrying all this pent-up stuff. Fair? Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to zip through these uh, so we can finish. You can come and ask me more about them. I'll put them on the blog if you want to write them down and, and look at them later. Here's the things that I've done, and I want to push us back as I thought about these. You know, I go, these pushes us right back to the Beatitudes, and this is stuff that I didn't find this in a book. I've done this. Okay? Um, the first thing, uh, how you do this, is the, the, the way of the power of um, Beatitudes. Is such a, the blessing is but you're on the right road when, the, when you feel this. Okay, poverty of spirit and mourning. So part of that is to name enemies, how they've wronged you, and then mourn the loss, and then put yourself in front of God. Name the enemies. This person, they might have good intentions, but they um, are my enemy. This is how they've wronged me. This is how I feel violated. This is how I feel taken advantage. This is how I feel taken advantage of. This is how I feel humiliated. And then place yourself um, before God. Part of this goes back to, I think, exactly what happened in the garden, which is, is your identity rooted in trust with the God who loves you, who created you, and now on this side of the cross has redeemed you, that cannot be taken away? Dave mentioned this earlier. Do we believe in abundance or scarcity? Do we believe that my identity fundamentally can get slapped down easily or not? This, this, is, this is hard work, but this is where it starts. Can, I, can um, my core being be taken away easily or not? You've got to go and put yourself before God. And I think one of the ways you do that, it's in scripture, it's in prayer, it's in journaling, and it's in this place where you have a safe place to just vent. And that's, Dave has actually provided a lot of that for me over the, over the years. Second, the way of meekness. Meekness, um, as you know, I'm sure a lot of you know, it's not weakness, it's strength that is guided. Okay. The way of meekness would say, I'm going to take a long-term win over a short-term win. The short-term win will immediately sort of get you out of hot water. It will immediately make you feel better, but often it makes things worse. So how can you focus your energy? So how can you restrain yourself enough to say, I'm going to think about this. I'm going to focus my energy on the most good with the most integrity. Not, do I get rid of it? Do I knock the other person out? Do I push the other person back? But how do I think about the most good with the most integrity? And what that does is it says, instead of somebody coming and doing something that violates me, I'm just going to do what violates them back, I'm going to think about determining the rules of engagement. So I'm not going to just echo back what happens to me. I'm not going to immediately take what they do and say, well, I have to do that. No, no, no. You get to change the rules of engagement. Meekness allows you that, that time to say, when I, when I if, let's, use a, let's use a violent analogy. When I punch, I'm going to hit in the best possible spot instead of just swinging wildly. For the, mo- for the most good with the most integrity. Last is, is uh, be a peacemaker. Peacemakers are not people that just kind of dance in, in fields of daisies and just love. We just are all about peace. Peace. Peacemakers are the people that are in war zones who are beginning to bring light. 
So be creative, be unpredictable, and deal with the person and not just the issue. And counter evil with good. Dave used uh, a great example of that uh, in talking earlier on calling to somebody who is on your case all the time and beginning to say, you know what, you don't deserve this, but I'm going to call out what is great, what I see is great in you. Counter evil with good. Um, We begin to move into people who go from, eh, okay, not bad, into people who are actually... Uh, culture transformers, people who change uh, families, people who change workplaces, people who can go to sleep at night with a sense of integrity and a sense that I've grown. I'm going to have the worship team come up. Well, just to say this, you guys, I hope this this is long. I hope you guys know that this is is the kind of stuff that you guys, I want you to be talking about with each other. And these conversations go this long. It's just, it is what it is. You just got about 14 talks. Um, and if you, and I would just challenge you, glean one, two things out of it, but keep the conversation going because long term, this is an area of growth, not an area of perfection. It really isn't. It's an area of community. It's not a thing of isolation. So I hope this is helpful. Was this helpful at all? Good. All right. That's what we want to hear. Well, Lord, uh, that's our prayer. Our prayer is that we would be able to pick up on one thing um, today in which we move from a place of being victims or even perpetrators, and move into a place of being peacemakers, that we would be able to move forward with integrity, that we begin to be people who change the terms of engagement in the world around us into a place where not only we thrive, but um, we actually are part of fostering uh, people thriving all around us. Lord, root us in a strength that cannot be taken away. That's my prayer. Move us just a little bit tonight, Lord towards you so that we have a strength that cannot be taken away. Lord, we pray this in your name. Amen.